This is Beth Butler, and thank you for listening to From the Ground Up, where we chat with people in and around the real estate industry. I have been in the real estate business for 35 years, and much of my experience has been about building the business from the ground up. And I'm pleased to share some of the people who I've met along the way and who have helped me build in this podcast. Today, I am thrilled to have Victoria Coster, Regional Marketing Director for Compass Florida, here with us. I first met Victoria when she was just out of college and was a marketing associate for One Sotheby's in Miami. She quickly ascended to head of marketing there and was the driving force of leveraging the brand in a significant way for the entire South Florida market. She left Sotheby's and joined the Opulence team to develop and implement their marketing strategy. Once I knew I was going to launch Compass in South Florida, Victoria was the very first person I called. She has been a key player in developing real estate brand stories for companies and agents alike. Here's how she describes herself in her own words. I love a good story. I can reread a book from until the end of time. Go on, ask me about Harry Potter. Good stories resonate. They show us something we can believe in. As a regional marketing director, I lead a team dedicated to bringing out the unique brands of Compass Florida's multifaceted group of agents. Consumers need to identify with what a company says long before they commit to buying what it sells. They make decisions based on emotional connections, and a good story changes everything. To survive in today's marketplace, we need to see the world through eyes of people we're trying to attract. My team develops strategies that pull in a target audience. We focus on getting that firsthand insight into agents' needs to reveal that nugget of truth that makes clients entrust them with their momentous real estate decisions. I believe when strategy guides the way, business grows. I believe a good leader's job is to guide their teams with curiosity, resilience, empathy, and diligence. I believe a good leader flips setbacks into springboards with grit and grace and teaches her team to do the same. I believe every agent's story is the backbone of their business because real estate is built upon relationships. I love finding that brand personality and expanding upon it, reinventing it, putting pen to paper, and giving it a voice. Please welcome to From the Ground Up, Victoria Coster. Thank you, Victoria, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I admit it's kind of uh, overwhelming to hear the track record of where we've been, Beth, and how far we've come. It, it was uh, a very curious deja vu moment for me to hear those words out loud. <laughs> right. It, it was fun for me to write the intro and just kind of think back to wow. 2013 and you really literally just graduating from college. We've just, we've come a long way together. Thanks for being on the journey with me. And I look forward to really getting into how you've worked with agents. I think you've got such a unique point of view that mm -hmm. many people listening will be very interested in kind of high level and then a deep dive into some areas about your thoughts about real estate marketing and more importantly, modern real estate marketing, which is, I think, right. 
where where your headspace is and certainly what we want to convey. This is not about doing what was done 10 years ago. It's really about what, what resonates today and going forward. So just at a high level, can you talk about the shift in trends in the last five years or so? Yeah, sure. So uh, we're, we're hitting the five-year mark with Compass Florida in August, and I think that, that so much has changed from 2015 to now. Um, I think the trends that we're seeing are things that you and I have, have been talking about since 2010 even, Beth, right? I think social media is having such a strong play in the real estate space because it's, it's become a platform where agents can build these authentic connections, uh, I think before five years ago, people were dabbling in social media, but nobody perhaps really believed that it was an effective way to convert uh, leads into sales. And now I think people are really leveraging paid social um, and, and sort of expanding into other platforms. I think Instagram has been massive for the real estate space just because of the nature of the channel itself being so visual. I also sort of see this... Uh, Specifically in Compass, I'm seeing this resurgence of, of collaboration between agents within our region and as well as outside of our region. I think it's obviously a competitive industry, real estate, just by nature. But I'm, I'm noticing a, a place where agents are willing to share ideas, especially when they're like-minded and they're of similar sort of uh, business, business levels. So I'm, I'm always really excited to see agents share the wealth and, and be willing to kind of come from that place of abundance. And I've seen more of that in the last five years than I perhaps saw in the previous five. Yeah, I think that uh, maybe they go hand in hand, right? Somehow, yeah. it seems to me collaboration may have been born through real estate agents really understanding how to work social media, forging those connections, and then leveraging the cooperation factor, especially in social media, which I think gives us as an industry a much more human face. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the, the industry is made up of human faces. So it's, it's really nice to see the, the back end of the industry start to take that same shape. I agree. So let's just go for how you work with an agent and talk about you know, when you sit down and meet with an agent for the first time, what comes mm -hmm. first? So I think uh, there's two things that come first, and, and we're really always interested as much as we can in talking to an agent, even before they make the decision to join Compass. Two things are top of mind for an agent, and I think the, the most important one to tackle first is how do I make sure that business continuity sees no hiccups in my transition? So that has to come first. You have to be able to make an agent feel comfortable that their baseline is protected, is going to be streamlined, and, and only after we can kind of talk about transitioning listings and getting signs up in the ground and, and making sure that their business will continue to run, can we then talk about long-term objectives and long-term strategies. We've, we've found historically we get really excited about talking about brands, so we're like, yeah, let's talk about um, what your messaging is, et cetera. But at the end of the day, if an agent can't feel comfortable with their business being stable as they sort of transition from one place to another, they're not going to be able to hear what those longer term processes and, and obviously more involved projects entail. So we start with the low hanging fruit first. And then once we're feeling comfortable, we add to that. So how do you develop a strategy with an agent kind of getting past the transition and into the hard look of building a plan? How do you develop strategy? We ask a lot of questions, uh, and, and we're always 
really, really interested in taking what we call verbatim notes. So to develop a strategy, it really starts with discovery. And there's different parts to that. Who are you as a human? Who are you in terms of your business? Uh, what are your specialties? What are your niches? My, my team really starts from that place of understanding where each agent comes from, because without being able to ask those questions and be curious to each and every person's unique answers, you know, we won't be able to build a strategy that resonates not only with who they are, but what their objectives are and who they're trying to reach. So strategy always starts with asking questions and then asking more questions. So is that, are those questions scripted or is it, is it a framework that they work from? I mean, what's the process on your end? Is it standardized with every agent or do you vary things depending? Yeah, I think it, it, we vary it depending on how, how involved an agent wants to jump into strategy in the first place. So I can, I can kind of give some examples of the questions that we ask. It is scripted to a certain degree. uh, And then we tailor it based on, based on the agent's specific interest in diving into strategy and how deep they want to go. But part one, for example, is where we ask, who are you? How long have you been a broker? Why did you get into real estate? Did you have a previous career? Um, I think understanding that agent's background and the skills they bring from past careers is, is really huge in how we think about what their strategy looks like moving forward. Someone, for example, who's very analytical and driven by numbers might want to lean more on, you know, including market reports on a regular basis, whereas someone who comes from a PR background is going to be much more interested in making sure that their voice is consistently sort of spread across their different channels. Um, And then we, we like to ask, what do you do when you aren't working to kind of understand their personal interests? And that gives us ideas of what sorts of niches we can show and bring to light in their lifestyle photography, which we can talk about more as well. And then we'll talk about their business. What kinds of clients do you work with? What areas do you work in? Um, What are some things your clients have said about you in the past? I think that's a really interesting question to ask because it puts the agent in the mindset of, you know, how do you, how do I differentiate myself, but based on what people's experiences with me have been versus how I describe my own business. Um, and then we talk about their marketing, past, present, future. What do you, what kind of marketing do you like? What has worked for you in the past? What hasn't worked? Um, what have you always wanted to try that you haven't had a chance to try yet? And I think that sort of baseline gets us to understand, are they very traditional? Have they, is there bread and butter mailers or are they interested in trying something that's a little more innovative? Um, have they had any experiences with past marketing that can shape the decisions we make with them for future marketing? Okay, so so it, it sounds like it's a fairly comprehensive process that explores yeah. their experience, their personality, their likes, their dislikes, what a little bit aspirational, what would you like to do that you haven't done before? Mm-hmm. I like that a lot because I don't think that people, especially when you're changing brokerages, right, or maybe you're sitting down to do a new business plan, adding mm-hmm. that piece of aspiration is what gets people excited about moving forward, right? This can seem tedious and monotonous. So it sounds like you add aspiration and fun to the process, which is, which is makes the the process much more pleasant. I would imagine. Do you suggest agents have a marketing plan? Always. Uh, That's that I think is, is the most important part of the equation is, is having a plan in place. Uh, There's uh, a, personal development coach I follow, her name is Rachel Hollis. And her line, which I love and we tell agents all the time, is that hope is not a strategy. 
right? You can, you can put an ad in a random publication that sends you an email with a discount rate and hope that someone's going to call you, but that is not a strategy and that's not a plan. That's not going to get you to your business objectives. So when we talk to agents about putting plans together, we always kind of tell them, let's look at your business objectives and your business plan, and then talk about how we can develop a marketing plan that ladders into those objectives. Because if you don't know where you're going, how are we going to get you there? And, and do you find that agents are ready to have that conversation I, 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 or, or are they more, resi- more resistant? Like, is it more like, let's just get into designing the deliverables. Like I need a brochure. I need this. I need that. Mm-hmm. And they're, or, or are they more open to those conversations that, that probably take them out of a comfort zone? Such a, such a loaded question. I love it. Um, I think that they, we've seen all levels, right? I think in general, if an agent has not done a marketing plan before, as with anything, there, there is a little bit of resistance to something new. And I think that's just how the human brain works. If there's something I don't understand, I perhaps am afraid of it because I don't understand it. So I think for us, what's really important in how we train our team is working agents through that change management, right? And, and getting them to feel comfortable with something that is new. So I think, yes, when agents come in and, and they're they're wrapping their heads around what a marketing plan would look like. They do feel a little uncomfortable because they haven't done it before. And we then need to kind of explain a little bit about a marketing plan will set you up for success. It's going to streamline how much time you invest in your marketing so that we can get you back out in the field, doing what you love doing and being with your clients. And what we find is that when we talk about the value of a marketing plan and not just you need to do this because it's important, they do ultimately understand it, but it takes time. Um, and in that time where we're having that conversation, if there's anything that an agent needs more immediately because they have a contract with a publication and they have ads that are due, we take care of those uh, so that we're, we're having short-term and long-term conversations and trying to parallel those work streams. But yeah, I think it's, it's scary. It's scary when uh, you're being asked to do something that you've never really thought about in the past. Yeah, I, I think that this is an important differential and I and I do want to hone in on it. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily just to sell Compass, although it's great that we do, but the approach from the marketing perspective from the team at Compass is much more like an agency as opposed to I'm just your go-to person to make a brochure or, or design an email or do whatever. So yeah. with that, and, and I think that's an important distinction, right? That we, you and I take for granted because we live in this world and have lived in this world for a while. Mm-hmm. But for people that are listening at maybe somebody else is thinking of their marketing person, I don't, I don't think that they really work from a plan and execute to a plan, which is, I think, an important part of what we do and what makes us successful overall. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, let's just kind of dive into a little bit of the deliverables. So it is 2020 Mm -hmm. and agent branding, right? This has been at the forefront of real estate marketing for forever. And it's either in vogue, out of vogue, how important is agent branding and like using a logo? I know we see a lot of it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah, I have, I have so many thoughts about agent branding and logos. I think, uh, I think an agent is their brand by nature of their personality is, is the backbone of their business. Like I mentioned in, in um, the intro that you read. And I think that a brand is so much bigger than a logo. Does it include a logo? Yes. Is a logo a brand? No. I, I, I always encourage agents to think about 
your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. It's the experience they have with you. It's how they would describe you. It's your personality. And, and can we make a logo that evokes the personality and your sensibilities? Yes, absolutely. And it's a beautiful part of a brand. But at the end of the day, it's one piece of a puzzle that is so much bigger than a monogram or an icon. And I think that making sure that we're communicating that to agents and saying, let's, let's make a logo you love, but let's also talk about how your brand is woven into everything you do is, uh, is just the, the fun part of the process. And I think sometimes because a logo is visual and you can see it and you can touch it if it's printed on something, sometimes that idea of a logo is a brand becomes ingrained in, in an agent's mind because they're such visual people. And, and I think we really get excited when we get agents to realize, oh, I see that the way that I incorporate a tagline and the way that I speak in my emails and the way that I come off in my photos, I see that all of those things are working together to make what is my brand. Um, and that's really exciting to us. So I would say agent branding is crucial um, and it is it is pivotal and vital to making sure that their business resonates and, and reflects who they are as people. But it's, it's just, it's so multifaceted and, and as multifaceted as the people that, that those agent brands represent. And it sounds to me, just again, to encapsulate what you just said, that it's also comprehensive. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not just a mark that goes at the bottom of an email signature or right. at the bottom of a postcard. It's something that is a living, breathing thread that goes through everything you do, including some how you represent properties, how you talk about mm-hmm. properties, how you represent them in photos, your lifestyle pictures. It's it's more than just having a stamp. It's, yes. it's really about understanding, going back to that discovery process, right? What your value is, what you're trying to say, and how do you incorporate your brand and logo into everything that you do? Exactly. And I think a, a, a strong agent brand is an authentic representation of who they are. So authenticity is um, so important in, in going on that discovery stage with an agent and making sure that whoever you are as, as an agent, as a person, um, as a member of the realistic community, we're, we're communicating that in the branding that we work with you to put together and to bring to life. Okay, cool. Thank you. Now, with a limited budget overall, where do you spend it? On listing marketing or personal branding? What, what, what's your opinion? You see, I, I get kind of greedy here, Beth, because I, I am a firm believer that you can do both. And so my answer would be yes and. And so I would spend it if you had a limited budget on listing marketing, but I would weave in personal branding to the way you're marketing that listing. So kind of going back to what you said, the way that you market a listing can be a reflection of your brand itself. You know, what does the copy sound like? Uh, is there a certain way that you're framing your, the front door of a home? Is there a consistency to the way you tell the story of each of the listings that you represent? Um, I think that there, there's an opportunity to find consistency in that. Um, and taglines, things like that as well. I think if an agent has a consistent call to action, that can always be on the back of a postcard or a listing brochure. Um, and that, I think, is just those little nuggets of personal branding that are woven into listing pieces. Um, so I would say if you have a limited budget, focus it on your listings because ultimately marketing those are 
you know, crucial to finding the right buyer and, and where you find the opportunity to weave in your personal branding, include it, and then use your organic channels like email and social to, you know, really leverage your personal branding if you don't have additional dollars to spend on outright agent branding separate from how it lives with listings. Could you, could you walk through an example? Is there anybody that you can cite that that somebody that's listening might be able to look at or just tell us a story about where somebody with a limited budget was able to do this effectively? Yeah, I mean, I think someone that immediately comes to mind because I, I love the way that they tell stories is Team Citron. So B and Jenna Citron, they're a, a mother-daughter team in Coconut Grove. And I think Jenna comes from a PR background. She has a really beautiful way of bringing Team Citron's language to life. And they have this tagline. I'm trying to remember what it is. I think it's, we treat clients like family. I can, I can confirm exactly what it is, but it's, it's something along those lines. So anywhere that they are promoting their listings, whether it's on a postcard or in an ad or on Instagram, they're ending with, we treat clients like family. Uh, and that's something that it's just a couple of words, but it, it is that consistent thread that makes clients feel like they are family. So it doesn't really matter if you are, you're putting that above your contact info on the back of a postcard or a brochure, or if you're closing an ad in the Miami Herald, you can always kind of use the same words. Um, and so I think they, they're the first ones that come to mind for me. They do a really, really solid job of, of using that tagline and that sentiment everywhere they go. Yeah, I find it woven through their content as well. Yeah. I've been uh, paying extra attention to B's Instagram, especially yeah. because she puts up a lot of recipes. And you yeah. know, in the quarantine, I've become the, a, a cooking fiend. So <laughs> I pay attention to a lot of her stuff. But with that, I think a lot of her content focuses around family, family feelings. She does a really great job of mixing personal with business and kind of bringing you, drawing you into her world. So right. it's not just a tagline. It's also so ingrained in what she does and how she feels that it comes through every post she puts up, every uh, comment string that she puts in. There's a warmth around that that feels like family. So you kind of get wrapped up in Team yes. Centron, which is which is unintentional, I think, on her part, but a great example of how to kind of work things through without having to spend a lot of money. So just to jump again to another topic, 2020, websites, yes or no? My answer to websites is yes, if there is a strategy behind it, right? It's, it's not enough to say, I want to make a pretty website because other people are making websites and it feels like I need to do it. I, I think starting with an objective for your website is crucial. So is the website a place to capture leads? Is it a digital business card that you can share with prospective clients so they can understand more about who you are and what your business is? Is it, is it robust or is it simple? And how are you driving traffic to it? So I think if you know and can answer those questions, then, then yes. Um, but I think if it's, I'm going to do it because I see other people do it and I want to get on the train, then I would say there are better ways to spend your money. Okay, perfect. Let's try and do a deep dive into social media. We've been dancing around it for the first part of the podcast, but now I kind of want to do a deep dive since mm -hmm. it is such a significant part of what we do now. And I appreciate it could be a show of its own, but from your perspective, what's important? I think 
social media is such an important place to and platform to use your voice and to connect and engage with your following. I think it's important to make sure that the way you represent yourself is consistent with the kind of business that you're bringing to your clients. I also think that um, it's important to have a minimum baseline and a presence on social media that works together. So for example, if you have orga- if you don't have a lot of organic sort of posts, et cetera, because you're, you're sort of new to Instagram or to Facebook, it doesn't make sense to start doing paid social until you have something that if people do click on your ads and do find your page, that your page in and of itself can back up the advertising that you're putting out there. So people need to feel like the presence you have organically fits in harmoniously with what they're finding if they come across your page from a boosted ad or a paid social type of campaign or something that's generating a lead. You never want to have a disconnect between what your message is organically and what you're, what you are driving when you start to invest dollars into your social campaigns. Okay. So these are all good points. So let's just back up for a minute and Mm -hmm. say, I'm, I'm coming to you and Victoria, I have been playing around on social media, but I'm not very good at it. And I really want to start to develop marketing around using social media effectively Mm-hmm. what channels do I start? Like, where do I start? Do I start on Facebook? Do I start on Instagram? Do I do Twitter? Do I do all of them? Talk to me about channels. Where's a good place to start and where should you be? So I think if there's a, if, if you're relatively new to social media as a space, it's about picking one, potentially two channels to start with and then layering on there. We actually just, uh, one of my marketing advisors, Rachel Welch, she developed this really comprehensive phased out content calendar for every single level of that spectrum, right? So if you are phase one, pick one platform. And and I would recommend if you're going to pick a platform, pick Facebook or Instagram, just the the visual nature. I'd probably start with Instagram. The visual nature of it is going to lend itself really well to your listings. And and obviously real estate is a very sort of visual space. Um, So you would pick one platform and then you would, we would recommend posting three times a week for 30 days. And just, just doing that, You have listings, you're going to pick one platform, you're going to post three times a week so that it's not overwhelming and so that you can develop the habit and and start to have fun with it. I think what we find is if an agent wants to be across three platforms and run paid social and do organic and and there's a tendency to want to be all things to all people immediately, but what we recommend is let's get you comfortable in the channel itself And then we can always add to that. So after those 30 days where maybe you're just focused on listings, because that's the most, um, you know, that's the most obvious thing that you're going to want to market. So do coming soon's, do just listeds, do a, you know, a feature Friday. And then once you feel really comfortable promoting your listings, we can talk about phase two and you can go all the way to phase five where you're layering in different types of content buckets and where listings are just one part of that equation. Um, But you have to start somewhere. You can't just like, we're, nobody's an expert at something when they first start. So we always, we have these conversations with agents to see what their baseline is. And then we make a recommendation based on where they are in those five phases. Are you an expert? Are you just getting started? Are you somewhere in the middle? Um, and we can tailor our recommendations based on that. Great. So just to put in a shameless plug, you've got to build it from the ground <laughs> up, right? That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so I'm out there, I'm doing my Instagram post three times a week. I'm putting up listings, trying to stumble around. How do I build an audience? 
right? So just putting it up there isn't enough. In social media, you also have to build an audience somehow. So do you have any tips on that? Yeah, we actually just ran a virtual social media summit for all of our agents in Florida last week. We had five days of content exactly around these types of questions. And and one of the recommendations we make is to build an audience, start to research and, and mine hashtags from accounts that you either have a, you know, a following and affinity for, or that are somehow related to the, the, the content that you're starting to put out there. So look for hashtags that you see other people use that are in your space, look for things that are relevant, and then start to not only use those hashtags, but go into the top posts within the hashtags that you're selecting and start to engage with the top few posts from each of those hashtags. So, so that you are kind of tying yourself back to the hashtags that you want your content to be uh, tied to. And I think that really starts to help see people who are following that hashtag will then see you posting and then they'll end up on your own feed. Um, so I think that's one really good way to grow your following. And I also think that, uh, you know, making sure that your social handles are readily available and clear to your spheres of influence, especially if you're doing email or if you're sending out postcards, include your Instagram handle, include your, you know, Facebook, if you're using Facebook, include your Facebook name so that you're bringing people to your channels from the places where you already have their attention. Okay. Kind of to go back to the earlier question. Again, if you don't have a website, by including your social media handles, people can learn more about you, what you do, and who you are by checking out your social media channels, correct? Correct. And sometimes that's, you know, if you have a really strong social presence, that's enough, right? They can, you can learn so much about a brand by following what they're doing on social, what they're saying, what they're posting, who they're engaging with. Right. I, I feel like it's much more interactive than a website to me. I don't, right. I rarely check out somebody's website anymore. I'm looking at their Instagram feed in particular or their Twitter feed uh, because that just gives you insight into kind of what kind of gets them going or not. But um, it does give you a little bit more insight into a brand and a person to see their social media as opposed to a website, which feels a little bit phrased and staged as a, where social media feels a little bit more genuine and authentic. Agree? I agree. I think social media can be such a beautiful place for strong dialogues. So I, I would also add to that, that um, the way that you're engaging with clients and with followers on social media also matters. When I'm looking at an account, I'm, I'm always curious to see, does the person that whose account I'm observing, are they replying to comments? Are they then going into other people's pages and, and reciprocating the dialogue somewhere else? Or are they active? Um, are they pulling me in and, or are they sort of just doing this from a one-way perspective? And I think if you can do a strong dialogue, that's going to come across and, and resonate with the people that you're attracting to your page. Okay. So just two quick questions, follow-up questions. Specifically, I think it's around Instagram. So mm -hmm. follow back always, never. Is it better to have more people following you than you follow? Should it be equal? Is it is there reciprocity? Do you feel compelled to follow back? Talk to me a little bit about that. The follow back. Uh, I mean, I think I think always is, is sort of a tough word. So maybe I wouldn't say always. I would say follow follow back if you know the person that's following you is someone that you know, looks like, looks like a client, looks like someone who's in the business. There's some kind of tie to 
the reason they're following you for a reason and you see that reciprocity and that potential to grow your following by following them in return. I would say don't follow accounts that don't seem like real accounts. You know, if somebody follows you and they have a thousand or 2000 followers, but zero posts, like, is that, I don't see the point in following that person back. Um, so I would say follow back if it makes sense. And if it feels like it doesn't make sense, don't do it. Um, related question. I, and I get this a lot, or I hear a lot about this from real estate agents. Should you have real estate agents as part of your following and should you follow them or no? Like some people feel like I don't want other people to really see what I'm doing. I'm not real. Mm -hmm. Other real estate agents are not my audience. Do you have any thoughts about that one way or another? Yeah, I think that, that that's the, it kind of goes to this argument of abundance or scarcity mindsets, right? So I think if you're coming from a place of abundance, you could say, yes, as an agent, I want other agents to follow me and I want to follow them. I want to stay engaged with my community. At the end of the day, deals deals happen because there are two sides to the deal. So if you have strong connections with the real estate community, they're going to they're gonna be able to also bring clients to your listings or buyers, or you might be able to connect with them in any way, shape or form. Like this is, this is how the business is done. So I, I would say there's always more room to uh, bring abundance to the equation. I think people who are like, I don't want to share my secrets. I don't want anyone to know what I'm doing. That, that's a place of scarcity where brains tend to come from. And, and that's the idea that if I have something then somebody else can't have it. And, and I just kind of fundamentally disagree with that with that sentiment, because I think that abundance begets abundance in the same way that scarcity begets scarcity. So I tell people, you're always going to find the evidence for what you choose to believe. And that's a, a quote that I heard from a poet named in Q. So if you're looking for abundance, you'll find it. And if you're looking for scarcity, you're going to find it. I, I say that um, run, run around in the circles that you want to run around in. And, and I will always say, follow people within your industry, because you never know when you're going to be doing business with them. You want to keep those lines of communication open. Okay. I think that's good advice. Um, last question with regard to specifically to this social media idea. If you are on more than one channel, you're on Instagram yeah. and Facebook, do you post the same content both places? Do you have a strategy for both? What, what do you suggest? I think if you're going to post the same content in both places, you need to be mindful of how that content appears on each platform, right? What, what we don't want to do is, push from Instagram to Facebook directly because sometimes things get skewed. Something that looked like an image on Instagram, if you post it to Twitter, it shows up as a link and it doesn't make sense. So don't just automate the way that your content goes across different channels for the sake of being on every channel. Um, but do look for opportunities where repeating your message is going to amplify it. So, you know, your audience is not going to be the same on LinkedIn. That's more business focused than it will be on Instagram. And so if you're on LinkedIn and you're connecting with vendors and other agents, what are you trying to say to vendors and agents? And if you're on Instagram and you're connecting with clients, what are you trying to say with clients? I would say lifestyle content makes a lot of sense on Instagram, where perhaps articles that you're reading that have to do with the business itself make sense to post on LinkedIn, but perhaps there isn't crossover. Um, so I would just say, if you're going to post on different channels, ask yourself who the audience is on each channel. And if the audience is similar, Go ahead and post it, but but be mindful of the way that you post it to make sure that it looks the way you want it to look. And if you think that the audiences are way too different, there there isn't a need to repost just for the sake of reposting. I think it's all right. about intention. 
Okay, I think that's good advice. So quarantine time, everybody has become really <laughs> obsessed with TikTok. So what do oh you think God. about TikTok? I know, I know. <laughs> I was on uh, just just to share. I was on a, a call with a high end developer development team this morning, and somebody on the development team prof- confesses. I, uh-huh. I hate to admit it, but I've really become obsessed with TikTok videos during the quarantine. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, this is a crazy thing to share on a business call. But I guess she was thinking about TikTok because it does kind of eat at your brain and live there for a while. So talk to me a little bit about TikTok, specifically to real estate. Is this something that's a fad or should real estate agents consider doing it in a, in a way that would be effective? So my first thought about TikTok is that my mother sends me too many TikTok videos and I cannot keep up with clicking on each of these videos to see what she's trying to tell me through these TikToks. Then um, she literally sends me like 20 TikTok links a day. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with these. I don't really understand what I'm looking at. Uh, I think that, you know, the other thing that we, we had some fun, the team had some fun with TikTok earlier this week because we put a TikTok video together to promote this coloring book campaign that we're, uh, you know, making available to agents. We custom designed a coloring book and the TikTok video is a bunch of different staff members from across the state sort of passing this virtual crayon to each other. And every single person, you know, simulates catching that crayon coloring on the coloring page, showing the final product and passing the crayon along. So it was really fun. I think it was a, it's a creative way to, you know, get people excited about something. And so I think if you're trying to use it for real estate, like, Again, as with any other medium, if there's a way to have fun with TikTok and, and make it relevant to your business, I could see a place where you could use the, the theme of like an op- opening doors could be the way you do a fun TikTok video and, and kind of open different doors to your listing and splice them out together. Uh, I think it's just what's the story that you're telling with TikTok. I fundamentally still don't get it in the same way that I never really understood Snapchat either. But I think that it could be a lot of fun. Um, and I think having fun with the medium is always a good thing. So I, I think if people are resonating with TikTok, I, I support you. And I think I like the idea of just kind of opening a bunch of doors. I think that could be really interesting. And I think that's relevant um, to the product. Yeah, that's thanks for sharing. I think that that's true. Like to approach it from a point of view of humor and fun and lightness. Like I think if you have that, as part of your personal brand, right? You're a funny person, right. you like to yeah. poke fun, do fun things, that sort of add that kind of levity to your approach. It makes mm-hmm. great sense. So thanks for sharing that. So while we're kind of talking about video, how would you suggest video be used in real estate? I think we've all gotten into this virtual medium with the quarantine that I think mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form is going to stick around. But after we go back to normal showings, let's just talk about how to effectively use video. Is there anyone you're watching that you really think uses video well? Just video as a whole. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think video as a medium is having such an interesting time with our current climate because it, it's it's replaced what has happened, what can't unfortunately happen in person right now. So somebody that sticks to top of mind for me is Megan Probst in Fort Lauderdale. She did this really, really uh, engaging and fun, unique way of doing a neighborhood tour during uh, coronavirus quarantine times. And what she did was this, this neighborhood view of Victoria Park, which is the neighborhood that she lives in and that she also does business in. 
And what she does is, is she starts the video by saying, I, I would love to take you on a tour of my neighborhood within my favorite method of transportation, which is rollerblading. So Megan is, there's these shots, which I think were probably taken by a drone of Megan kind of rollerblading through the streets and showing her, her firsthand perspective of the neighborhood itself. And I just thought that was, she's obviously wearing a compass shirt. I thought that was such a, a unique way of kind of showing clients, this is my neighborhood and this is how I move within my neighborhood. And the epic shot of her in the rollerblades going down these beautiful Victoria Park streets, it, it, it definitely gives a, a specific look and feel and tone to, to the video itself and to the content. So I think within our current climate, that's really fun. I think there's a lot of ways to use it. And then I think beyond, you know, when we kind of go back to whatever, whatever normal is, when we go back to something that's a little bit more predictable, video can still have that space in real estate. So I, I don't think that virtual open houses, which are something that we've been leveraging, I don't see those going away because what a virtual open house lets you do is it lets you reach a potential buyer pool that cannot physically come to the open house itself, probably because they're in a different state. Um, so for example, Janie Coffee did this really incredible virtual open house a few weeks back and, and she drove over 12,000 views to the virtual open house itself by incorporating Facebook events and watch parties um, and co-promoting it with people who uh, were sort of willing to drive traffic to that open house for her as well. Janie ended up uh, finding a buyer for this listing itself by continuing to promote the recording of the virtual open house to uh, potential buyers in New York. So she ended up being contacted by a couple in New York that came across the virtual recording, made an offer on the house sight unseen, and drove all the way down from New York to do inspections on a Friday, drove all the way back to New York on Sunday, loved the property, and now they have a closing set for early June. Um, so that's just, I don't think that that's something that will go away. I think it's, that, that applies anytime, because especially if we're looking for Northeast buyers. Um, I'm really excited yeah. to see how people leverage this moving forward. It really feels like it was one of those, like, aha, I should have had a V8 kind of moments, right? I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like slapping my head after we had a few successful virtual open houses, thinking when you are sitting in South Florida in particular, and a mm -hmm. large part of your market audience is not local, Forget that right. they can't get out of their house to go to come see you. But when yeah. you're trying to reach people in the Northeast, people in California, people in Chicago, so much of our market is outside of our drivable market area. Mm -hmm. This virtual mm -hmm. open house thing should be part of what we do every time we have an open house. And like I said, I, I, I'm hitting myself in the forehead thinking, you know, wow, why didn't we think about this a long time ago? And our agents have gotten so good at it. I really, really am impressed with the commitment people have made mm -hmm. to be good in front of a camera. And it's not an easy skill, right? So no, I think that so many people have taken this time to develop this new skill and the quality of video we see going forward is going to be considerably better than before we kind of got into this. Um, yeah. Property videos, anything that you really like that anybody's doing that, that people might want to tune into and watch? I think the best property videos have a component of of human touch to them, right? I think, you know, gone are the days where fancy panning camera work through an empty house are what are going to pull people in. So I think anybody who 
make sure to weave in like, is what's somebody doing in the kitchen? How can, how is somebody, you know, using a beautiful family room? If you can have actual human bodies in your videos, it's going to allow a buyer to picture themselves in that space. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a broad stroke, but um, at the end of the day, you want your buyer to be able to visualize themselves in the listing that you're showing them. So find ways to have those touches of, of human human interaction within the space itself. So I think that it doesn't have to be faces or somebody talking into a camera, but are you following someone from like a firsthand perspective or do you see someone open a door, turn on a faucet, pour a glass of wine? Um, I think that's what makes it really interesting for a property video when I can tell that a property itself is right for me because I can, I can, it's like I'm already standing in the property based on what the video is showing me. So no, please don't do the fancy camera work with like spinning around a living room on a drone or something like that. It's, it's, if it's distracting, don't do it. I keep trying to tell video videographers this, like if it's distracting me, I'm already losing interest in this video. Well, I, I, I agree. I think it's uh, interesting that human perspective, uh, someone on our new development team out mm-hmm. of New York it has started to work with architects and designers while they're staying yeah. at home with them pr- doing a video of how they built their house and how they're using or their apartment and how they're using it now that everybody has been in this stay at home environment. And the first few that I've seen have been really amazing to have that professional. Yeah perspective on how they use rooms, how their kids are using rooms, how they're using their balcony space or their outdoor space. And to see that from the perspective of an architect or designer is so compelling, right? It's just one of those new things, those silver linings that popped out of quarantine that I think is such a good thing. I hope that finds its way into listing videos, right? Even if it's with the owners, how they're using their house, why they live there, what they think people would enjoy about it. And I think that that puts people in that space to what you were saying, right? They understand, oh, I could be in that space. Oh, I have kids. And oh, yeah, I know what it's like to have three teenagers that are homeschooling mm-hmm. in different parts of the, uh, in different parts of a three-bedroom condominium. So it's um, it's a very relatable element that I think draws people in. So thanks for that. It's a good tip. And it made me think about that. Um, let's yeah, go and through. I think if I can, Sorry. if I can just one one thing on that note, and I've seen the videos that you're talking about of the the architects and the designers and their spaces, and they're they're so beautiful. I was walking in my neighborhood like I do every single day during quarantine. There's this one house on Bay Drive that, if I could live in this house, I would. It's my favorite house on the street. Today, normally they keep the blinds down probably because they don't want people like me creeping in their windows. But today they had one of the blinds open, and it was clearly a kid's room. And I did creep into the window, not, you know, from the street, but I could see through the window that this kid's room was just wall to wall, um, you know, drawings and paintings and, and the entire wall itself was covered in these papers of this child's art. And I just like, it's those types of touches of life where you can picture the kid drawing in their own room, putting it up on the wall and, and the kinds of parents that are, are happy to have all of those drawings on the wall. I could picture what it's like to live in that house from one little sliver, from one window that they actually had open today. Um, So I think it's those beautiful moments that make a house a home. 
It truly is. And it makes you smile just to think about it, right? All these warm and emotional sentiments that people attach around their home, especially now. So the Mm -hmm. minute you started describing it, you said a kid's room, I started smiling and just listening. I'm visualizing it, right? So great job. Thank you. I think that's going to be super helpful to everybody that was listening. Let's talk about digital marketing for just a minute. I'm an agent. I have a listing. I want to promote it. What's the best way to do that online, right? We're not doing a lot of print anymore. So really, what should a marketing plan, a digital marketing plan for a typical single family house look like? So for us, we sort of start kind of what we talked about a little bit earlier is understanding what that agent's presence is online. So let's say, for example, that agent has a strong organic following on social um, you want to make sure that you're you're obviously posting to those channels. You're posting on Instagram, you're posting on Facebook, you're doing your email newsletters, et cetera. And I think that we have a couple of different tools that are great for paid social and for promoting a listing. There's And it all kind of depends on what that agent's level of involvement is in terms of the amount that they're investing from a time and a budget perspective. So if I'm an agent, I want to make sure I'm promoting something online digitally but I don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time doing that myself and and doing a manual lift marketing center on compass.com. Our proprietary tool has a digital ad builder built into it, which, you know, with a few clicks, it lets you pick your listing, your budget, and then the tool itself self optimizes based on a radius of where that listing is, as well as a radius of where common buyers are coming from for where that listing is and any additional traffic kind of based on who is visiting that listings page on compass.com and we've seen a lot of success driving open houses house attendees from marketing center ads like that what i think is really nice about the tool on compass.com is that it's leveraging insights and trends and and sort of optimizing data from a single tool that's doing this for compass agents across the country so it's learning a lot faster and ingesting a lot more information and optimizing at a higher level than an agent who's trying to do this on their own where the algorithms are only learning from their listings and from their following and from their own unique campaign um, spends. So that's like a really low level way of using um, digital, but also being able to see some traction, right? Especially if you're driving, I think driving attendance to an open house is kind of the easiest way to promote online. Um, And then if you want to do a little bit more, you can, you can, you can leverage third parties. You can also have somebody do it for you directly. But I think what we're finding is if an agent's getting started, what's really nice about the tool is that it's a set it and forget it. The algorithm will do the work for you. The spend will be spent um, on your behalf. And, and we're finding that that's just sort of the best way to get your stake in the ground and to promote um, your listings themselves. And, and if there's an agent that wants to level up, we do have recommendations on how to do that. But obviously those take a little bit more time um, and a little bit more budget. Is there any strategy around using uh, Google pay-per-click ads to promote listings? I think that um, for me, pay-per-click is such a, it's such a crowded space for real estate that it, it, I personally kind of don't recommend it right now, especially if it's not something that an agent is well-versed in. And, and historically we kind of see that, it's, it's not something that um, is driving as much traction or as much sort of ROI as what we've seen happen with social. And I think that's because 
you know, all the good keywords are purchased and there's really no sense in like, I don't know, doing a pay-per-click strategy for the exact address of a listing because who's going to search the exact address when they could just kind of find it on um, any of the different apps, hopefully on Compass. But, you know, people are searching Zillow, they'll find it on Zillow. I don't, I don't have a lot of faith in pay-per-click for like a drilled down agent level for a listing. I just think it's too dense of a medium to be able to have results driven at such a granular level. I think if you're, you know, on a bigger scale, if you're a brokerage, that's different. Um, But I think for an agent, it's, it's a little bit too, I don't know. I still feel like it's a little bit nebulous in the same way. I feel like SEM is important and SEO is always important, but it's sort of like, Pick, pick something that's going to have a more immediate ROI that, that is more easily understandable and optimizable at the granular level. Right. Okay. So just to encapsulate just a bit, the listing approach, yeah. social media, maybe if mm-hmm. you're promoting a brand, you work a neighborhood, you're trying to do lead generation on bigger scope projects, it seems that Google pay-per-click could be part of that equation overall or some of the larger, uh, broader, less specific kind of goals can be done yeah. in a broader, more less, less specific medium. But Facebook, Instagram are really great to like, like you would use the local paper to promote an open house, right? So go right. to those and let the medium or the tool or the company that you're using optimize those. So I think mm-hmm. that that's good feedback. Uh, single listing websites. So 2010, mm-hmm. or is it something that should still be part of a listing agent's arsenal? I mean, I think they're so 2010. I think if all the website is doing is making a seller happy and providing a vanity URL to put on a brochure, then a thousand times. Yes. It's very 2010. Um, so I think when an agent is asking for a single listing website, we always make it a point to ask, what's it for? Is there a strategy to drive traffic to the site? And especially more specifically now, are you hosting a virtual open house and putting your recordings up on your website? Are your Matterport tours on this site? Are you using paid social to drive buyers to these resources? How are you sharing the URL? Um, kind of like what we talked about with websites before is if you're using a single listing website with a clear objective and a clear strategy to reach that objective, live your best life and we will help you do that. But again, if you just want a URL to make your seller happy because it's 1234addressstreet.com, um, we would advise not doing that because it's, it's not going to drive results if you don't know what those results are. Right. So, so maybe use it more like a landing page for mm-hmm. things like Facebook ads or email blasts or online brochure requests. That seems more 2020 than 2010? I think so. I think that having a catch-all for where you're driving traffic is is going to be huge and being able to monitor the analytics of how your different campaigns are, are performing, especially if the website itself can host, you know, Facebook pixels and code snippets that allow you to see how each of those campaigns are sort of performing once they get to your website itself. And, and websites certainly let you do that. So if you have that functionality built in, you're then able to make better decisions on the campaigns that you're putting money behind. Okay. Speaking of uh, overused or (laughs) overseen digital marketing, let's talk about email blast. How do we, Uh how do we, how do we modernize this process? (laughs) Um, Don't send an email every day. Don't send an email three times a week. Send 
a focused email to a focused segment on your list with a focused purpose. Um, I think paying attention to how you make it conversational modernizes it. I would always love to see the way an agent speaks in real life with their clients when they're in the room is the way that I want to hear you talk to me in an email blast. Um, so don't make it kind of like a, a, a bland sort of message that says nothing. Make it, make it feel like you as a person um, and make sure that you're driving traffic to your email blast by, you know, collect email addresses from, your, from a paid social ad and make sure you're nurturing that list and getting more people into your list. Um, and make sure you're using groups to define your buckets of conversations. Are these past clients? Are they active clients? Leads? Sphere of influence? Um, and always use your, your voice targeted to whoever you're speaking to. So it's, it, I think gone are the days of these blanket emails that I'm going to send out into the world and hope that someone answers me. Right. Stop, stop blasting yes. me and start speaking to right. me. Right. So with segmentation, with a, just to get into basics, mm -hmm. just listed, right? Who do I need to tell if I'm an agent who I just listed a property to? Who's, who's my audience there, just as an example? So I think if you have a just listed, I would recommend sending that out to your agent network because, first of all, I think agents know what just listed means. So if you're going to do something like that, you want it to go to brokers that you've done business with in the past because they might have a buyer that is interested in that area and they would be the first ones to kind of call you and say, I saw that you just listed this property. I have the perfect person. I'd love to set up a showing. I think you could potentially also share with um, maybe active or past clients too because you know if there's a past client that's in the neighborhood where you're listing again, perhaps they know someone that's interested in buying in the neighborhood itself. Um, so I, but I would start with agents. That's where my first, my first thought process went. And I think if you're going to send something that's just listed to a client list, consider what the headline is. Maybe it's um, new on the market. I, I think sometimes agents use a lot of jargon that perhaps the, or the standard consumer doesn't understand. So how do you make it um, consumer-facing versus when are you making it agent-facing? And, and I think your language can really help with tailoring the message. So when you're segmenting your mm -hmm. list, which I think is the first step based on what you said, your tags and whatever you're using, even if you're just like using a spreadsheet or if you're using a sophisticated CRM, mm -hmm. tags should be geographic. It should talk about how you know someone if they're a past client so that when you do develop the messaging and adjust listing, you know exactly who the audience is and can match the audience to what you're to who you're trying to speak to. Does that sound about yes, right? Yes, yes. And in the in the Compass CRM, we have both tags and groups. So the groups are sort of nailed down based on the research that Compass did with agents from across the country. And those six groups are past clients, active clients, leads, agents, vendors, and sphere of influence. Um, and those are locked because they kind of see that those are the six big buckets that everybody is using. But there are an unlimited number of tags that agents can include in their CRM, and they can go down to geographic location, like you mentioned, or they can be as nuanced as specific as like book lovers or dog lovers or, um, you know, upsizing, downsizing, wh whatever. You can make up a million tags, people who love cooking. 
And then you can say, I have a new listing with a beautiful kitchen. So I'm going to send this out to people who I know love to cook. And maybe that email talks about cooking a meal in the kitchen. So I think, um, I love, right. I love having recipe, a ton of text. Right. The, 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 the old, uh, let, let me share my recipe with you, but in a modernized mm-hmm. way, right? So exactly. here's a, here's a segmented list of people that I know like to cook yep. and here's, uh, a house with a spectacular kitchen and gas stove. Mm-hmm. We know I'm a huge gas stove person. Yes, you are. And um, and here's a recipe that you could that you could cook on that on that stove. So I think that's a great example of messaging. Um, just tell me a little bit about how important or is there a balance between words and pictures? Should you be using video? Just the mechanics of the content. What do you think? that optimally could look should look like for an email i I think that i mean i'm always going to say words are more important but that's because i'm biased and i like words i think there's definitely a balance and i think it depends on what your specific email is talking about so if you're promoting a new property you're going to want to show photos but also you're not going to want to show all of the photos i think it's it's practicing constraint and saying if i'm going to show three to four images at most by the way what are the three to four standout images that will really pull someone in and get them interested enough to tell me like, hey, I saw that you just put something on the market. I would love to know more information. Uh, and same with, with copy. How much, how much can you tell them that will get them to want to engage to know more? It's kind of like the teaser for a movie. You don't want to give away the ending and you don't want to give away the entire story. You want to give just enough information to make someone's interest peak and to make them then get pulled in to engage with you to get more of those details. Um, so, you know, is, I can't, I don't really want to put like a percentage copy versus images. Cause I do think it depends. Um, if you're doing a newsletter, like there, there might be an intro sort of paragraph and, and maybe that's just a couple of sentences, but I do sometimes think when you're doing a newsletter, it's going to be a little bit more copy heavy because you have a certain theme to the newsletter perhaps. And, and if you're doing listings, perhaps it's more photo based. Um, so I think starting with what your intent with that per- specific email is and then letting the copy versus image ratio kind of be dictated from there is the best place to start. Just last question yeah. about email length. I find that the subject line may pull me in. Mm-hmm. The text and initial imagery may get me to stick, but literally, especially on an iPhone mm-hmm. or a phone, I get two screens in and I'm done. I went out. Yep. So, you know, are we beyond these like super long, let me put everything in an email? Should you send multiple short ones, a teaser, a link to follow? Is there a strategy that you would suggest with regard to length of email? Yeah, I think you never want your email to be so long that your email platform clips it and somebody has to click because it's so long that they're going to have to go to a different page to see the whole thing. So, and that's on a desktop. So imagine on mobile, I think that you want your email to be long enough to give the most important information. And if you have, for example, if you're sending a lifestyle newsletter and there is a page with more details on whatever you're promoting, you know, if you're, if you're promoting stay at home activities with your kids you don't have to put the entire article in the email. Put the first two sentences and say, click to read more. What that lets the reader do is say, I am interested in learning more about what to do with my children during quarantine. Let me click to read the whole thing. 
but then it lets a reader who might not be interested in having more information on that specific topic continue to scroll to the next part of your newsletter. So let it be more of a digest that gives previews into the information and then lets people have the flexibility to find more information if they want it. Uh, I agree, like two scrolls on your mobile and you're done. So, you know, it should be something that you can probably read or get the gist of in two minutes and then have links out from those two minutes to people who want to have more information. I would say a two-minute read is probably as much as you're going to get from people right now. Yeah, I, I agree. Maybe, maybe even a little bit yeah. less. Um, anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to share? Hmm. I think that uh, what I find really interesting to do with the team lately is to use this time of quarantine to really kind of peel back the layers and, and reevaluate the way we're doing everything, right? And I think that I think everybody's doing that at different levels. Uh, so what we're f- having a lot of fun with is, is having these really honest conversations with our agents about, you know, what's the world look like for you? What's your business look like? How can we help you? I think that we're connecting on a much more human and transparent level than perhaps we were doing before. And, and the team is so excited to really empathize and, and come from a place of curiosity with all of our customers kind of across Florida at large. Um, I'm really excited to see what we bring forward with us from COVID for when the, the world becomes a little bit more predictable. Because I think we're, we're having a ton of insights from this current climate that, that I really want to take with us. And I think one of those things is we're having a lot of agents lean into this idea, which is the theme behind my team and the way we do business is the theme for agents is that when strategy guides the way business grows. So right now we have agents saying, you know what? I do want to learn more about that thing you've been telling me about for months. Please tell me more. What can I learn? Um, so we're seeing that like necessity is the, is the birth of invention. And, and I think that it's such a cool way to lean into these times to be able to do things like virtual open houses. Like you said, we've never really thought of something so obvious because we haven't had to, but what do we have to think about now? And, and how is it going to help us not only short-term, but long-term? I'm just, I'm really, really excited about what else we're going to be able to learn right now. And I think the team is doing the best work they've ever done. Um, and our customers are feeling that, which, which at the end of the day is why we're here. Yeah, I, I agree, and thanks for sharing. I, I would say that just in my consumption of a lot of real estate agent marketing, which I do, I mean, mm-hmm. I get tons and tons of emails. I follow them on all their social media. So I've been, I, I consider myself a consumer of real estate marketing. Mm-hmm. And during this time, I can see the thoughtfulness behind people's approach to the media. Yeah. So it's just been very interesting. I enjoy it much more. It doesn't feel as mechanical. Yeah. It does feel much more thought out. Like I have the time, this whole thing, like examine your messaging mm-hmm. is evident in what most people are putting out now. They're thinking about what they're saying as opposed to just saying what they have to do and checking it off their list and moving on. Right. So I hope that although even though you said hope is not a strategy, <laughs> um, I do hope that this does become a strategy going forward, that people will keep that thought of message first in their approach 
so that the their efforts are well received by the people that are consuming them and there's a lot of like I need to stop and look at that and think about that or wow this is something about this person I had no idea about before we got into this so I hope that does continue last question before we get to the lightning round what is the single best leave behind advice you have to share with everybody oh boy I think my single best advice is to to start with your story and and i think it it always i'm always going to come back to that i think your story is what makes you special and it is also going to be what connects you with other people so if i can just give a short a short example of what i mean um, we have these four agents in the coconut grove coral gables market that at the start of covid came to us and said listen, we are, we are four individual agents that have our own businesses, but we want to come together to do an ad about how important it is for us to come, to come from a place of solidarity and to collaborate um, and to let our clients know that at the end of the day, we have a job to do and we're going to do it for you no matter what happens. Um, so we got to work with them on what that messaging looked like and sounded like, and, and the four of them came together on an ad for the Miami Herald that came out of the main section of um, the back cover of the main section in mid-March. Uh, and they got such beautiful response from what that message said, and it, it talked a little bit about how we are guided by the beacon of a four-letter word, and that word is obviously home. Um, and it was such a great reaction from clients as well as colleagues within Compass and outside of company compass that we actually scaled that ad to naples and ultimately it did make its way to southern california where we had full agent buy-in on this just on the messaging itself it's it's it was kind of unprecedented and i'm really proud of it some of the things that our agent said was that um i was like a little kid the night before christmas so excited it's amazing to me how organically beautifully collaboratively it all came together what a gift and we're looking for gifts um And then we had a colleague from another firm tell one of the agents that was in the ad that I have to say in all my years in real estate, that was the most incredible thing I saw and I was blown away by it. And it all started with a story and it all started around a conversation that four agents had about a shared experience. So my advice to you is is leverage your experience to connect and, and connect with the people that it makes sense to connect with. Those are not just clients, they're people that you do business with. Um, so just remember the stories. I, I, I love that. So we're going to get a little bit into your story. Okay. Just to close things off, I like to use a lightning round of questions to describe your growth, who you are, <laughs> and let people know a little bit about your story. After all, this podcast is called From the Ground Up, so we want to get to know you a little bit from the ground up. So just lightning round questions, quick, quick Q&A. Okay. Uh, where were you born? South Miami Hospital. Awesome. <laughs> Birth order. I am the second of two daughters. Okay. The baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's great. Academic background. I went to Catholic all-girls school for 12 years, and then I jumped around to a bunch of different Florida universities. Started at UF, ended up at UM, New World School of the Arts, finally graduated from FIU. I've, I've done the tour. Who was your best teacher? Beth Butler. 
<laughs> I didn't teach you, <laughs> but, 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 but thank you. But thank you. I'll take it. I'll take it. What'd you major in in college? Everything. I started studying graphic design. I studied advertising. I ended up getting a degree in communications. Okay. What was your first job? Charlotte Ruse at Sunset Place when I was 17 or 18 years old. That store no longer exists, nor does the company. Working in the mall. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Who was your best mentor? Ed Butler. <laughs> oh, come on. This is shameless. Shameless. I'm going to skip on here. Tell us about your current familial status. I am married to a husband. We will turn four as husband and wife in October, but we've been together for a decade. We have two fur babies. They are both cats. One is named Frida. She's sitting right next to me looking out the window. And the other one's name is Floof. We don't have kids, but I also took a bunch of baby stuff from my best friend who now has three children, and I have that stuff locked somewhere in my mother's house, and I hope to need it one day, but not anytime soon. <laughs> Where do you live, and what do you like best about your house? We live in North Beach on Normandy. What I like best about my house is the view. We face direct east, and we're on the second floor, so we're right above the boat line on the intracoastal, and especially right now, it's turned into kind of a pachanga on the intracoastal because people are out on inflatable kayaks and inner tubes um, and canoes and it's just really fun and a beautiful way to wake up with the sunrise. I am enjoying watching the pachanga on <laughs> Instagram by the way. Every day there's something what's different. Your, what's your... It is. It's hilarious. It's just not being in Miami during the quarantine. I really feel like I get a slice of Miami life by, by, by watching that. <laughs> what's your favorite vacation spot? My first answer is Montauk in the Hamptons. Kevin and I, my husband, we had two really beautiful vacations in Montauk early on, and, and I would always go back there. Second answer would be the Catskills, so both in New York. Okay, good. Tell us about your morning routine. Oh, God. I am a morning person. I wake up between 5.30 and 6.00. I sometimes meditate first thing in the morning. I also break out my foam roller and I roll out my joints because I feel like every morning I wake up with a bunch of creaks and cracks. Then I do a gratitude practice. I have a start today journal also from Rachel Hollis, who I think I mentioned at the top of the podcast. And, and I, I start the day by remembering five things that I'm grateful for that happened in the last 24 hours. I light a candle. I write in my journal. I um, sometimes go on walks first thing in the morning. And uh, I have coffee. I have a really long morning routine because I don't really get to my desk until about nine. So I really like the, the two-hour me block of doing things to kind of set my brain in the right mode before getting to the office where things start to happen really fast. Okay, great. What do you consider your biggest failure? Hmm. I think my biggest failure has been any time that I haven't asked more questions or any time that I haven't um, made my voice known in, in a room for whatever reason. I think that it can be very easy to just sort of nod your head and say, yes, yes, whatever, whatever you say. And, and I would say that, um, that I never regret speaking my voice when I do speak it. So I would say my failure is staying quiet when it was best to, to bring something to the table. Okay. Best success. God, I think my team is my best success. And, and I, I'm so incredibly proud of 
the 14 humans that make up the Compass Florida team. I think it's it's crazy rewarding when you see them kind of come to new heights and, and have all of these wins. And uh, it's very strange and humbling to me to see how far the team has come, especially because I started from a place of, I did everybody's job on my own when I first got into real estate marketing. And now I have just this incredible squad of people who are better at things than me. And um, I'm so okay with that. I'm, I'm so, their wins are their wins. And um, I, I'm just here to hope to drive them in the right direction. I, I love that. Do you have an aspirational goal you'd like to share? Well, one day I would love to own a ton of land in the Catskills. And Kevin and I have always talked about having Airbnbs. And now I think maybe we're reevaluating having Airbnbs just based on what's going on. But I would love to, to have a, a sort of um, say in the way that people experience a place, to be able to design a beautiful house that someone makes beautiful memories in. I, I think that that would be really rewarding. I think it's people remember those types of vacations, right? And I would love to be the architect behind what that vacation looks like for people. I like mm-hmm. that. I like that. Last question. What's your favorite, what has been your favorite part of quarantine? I think my favorite part of quarantine has been the this sweeping reevaluation of what matters. I was talking to the team about um, this idea of holding how little I need up to the light of how much I want and, and thinking about why do I want the things that I want and do I actually want them or have I just been told that I want them? Um, so really sort of realizing that we don't need much more than the people we love, a roof over our heads, um, and for me, a pen. Like, I just need a pen and some paper to put my thoughts down. So I'm really liking this idea of, of cleaning house, but, but mental house, obviously also physical house, but just doing away with the things that have been cluttering my brain and then making space for the things that maybe I've been shoving in the corner because I either don't want to deal with them or haven't had time for them. I like the idea of time stretching in new directions and, and me being able to decide what I do with that. I think that sounds the perfect place to stop today. Thank you so much for sharing. Just to close, we want to thank Victoria Coster, Regional Marketing Director for Compass Florida, and truly one of the most talented and best storytellers I know. Vicki, last thing, where can people connect with you, assuming somebody wants to reach out to you after this podcast and talk to you a little bit more about modern real estate marketing? People can connect with me via email. My email address is victoriac, as in coster, at compass.com. And if you want to see a ton of black and white photos with a lot of words, you can follow me on Instagram at victoria underscore sampaio. That's my maiden name. S as in Sam, A-M, P as in Peter, A-I-O. I I use Instagram as like my creative outlet for stories that have nothing to do with real estate. So if you want to hear about those, follow me. Thank you again, Victoria. It's been a pleasure having you on From the Ground Up. Thank you, Beth. It's been such an honor. This episode of From the Ground Up was sponsored by Feather the Nest, the crowdfunding source for all of your real estate needs. Why register for silverware when you can start your way to owning or renting your own home? Please sign up for your nest at www.featherthenest.com. 
A special thanks to my extraordinary producer, Sohail Fazludin, who has made this podcast possible.